Hi, I'm Rob, and this is another episode of Rewind and Review. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, Jason. We've been gone for a while, but good to say we are back. We are back indeed. Welcome to Rewind and Review, the retrospective podcast where we have a look at an existing property from the past, delve into its legacy, discuss how it's held up over time, and even give out our own personal experiences. Did we watch it as a kid or sometime later in our lives? This episode of Rewind and Review will look at a romantic comedy movie starring Eddie Murphy. Absolutely. With a sequel coming out in March of 2021, we've taken time to go back and take a look at this John Landis-directed movie, which is based on a story originally created by Eddie Murphy. So get a haircut at my (laughs) T-Sharp, listen to some sexual chocolate... And order yourself some McDowell's as we rewind to the year 1988. Swinging 60s, here I come, baby, yeah! Go back to then. When? Now. Now? Now? Ooh, ah, that's how it always starts. There's definitely a very slim chance to survive. In 1988, Eddie Murphy had already made his big screen debut back in the 1982 film 48 Hours uh, with Nick Nolte. The following year, he starred alongside Dan Aykroyd in Trading Places, which was also directed by John Landis, and went on to star in his first solo leading role in 1984's Beverly Hills Cop, reprising the role in 1987 for its sequel. This leads us to 1988, with Eddie Murphy working once again with director John Landis, Starring in Coming to America. Absolutely. In Coming to America, Eddie Murphy plays Akeen Joffa, uh, the crown prince of the fictional Af- African nation of Zamunda. Uh, be warned that if you haven't seen Coming to America yet, but you do want to, um, go watch it first, then come back and listen to this episode because we will be talking spoilers. Prince Akeem, played by Eddie Murphy, wants for nothing except a wife who will love him in spite of his title. To escape an arranged marriage, Akeem flees to America accompanied by his persnickety sidekick Semi, played by Arsenio Hall, to find his queen. Disguised as a foreign student working in fast food, he <laughs> romances Lisa, played by Shari Headley, but struggles with revealing his true identity to her and his marital intention to his king father, who is played by James Earl Jones. Absolutely. So, Jason... Have you seen this movie before? Um, yeah, a handful of times. Um, I mean, I don't think it's like an immense amount. I wouldn't say maybe like around five, six times. Okay. Not like 10, 20, nothing crazy. Okay. Um, a favourite. A favourite of mine um, in terms of Eddie Murphy films. Okay. Um, it's it's up there. I mean, straight, straight away, I can, I can already tell you. Um, hilarious movie. Lots of heart. Um, yeah, I, I like it, but... Um, I mean, that's all I can really say about it. Not too much obsession with this. (laughs) That's fine. So this, no surprise at all, ladies and gentlemen, I saw this for the very first time in order to review this. So um, I don't know it very well. That's okay. It wasn't really on my radar. So I have to admit, the very first time I heard of this movie and its existence was when I heard that they greenlit a sequel, which is coming out this year. 
I didn't even know this thing was it, it was around. I don't think it, I don't think it came out on maybe free to air TV or anything like that. So it's not really something that popped up. I Beverly think, Hill Cops definitely, and yeah. um, you know Eddie Murphy's earlier work with um, stand up, like you know Raw and all of that stuff. I'd seen all of that, which was this era, but. No, I, I had I had seen this um, this this movie had popped up on free to air like a few times okay um, when I was growing up and stuff like that um, I think it was my dad who put me in front of it which probably wasn't the most appropriate thing <laughs> lots of boobies in the in the first uh, in the the first <laughs> third of the film um, <laughs> yeah I mean I guess this is a I guess this is a this is an adult comedy so mm-hmm. I suppose for your childhood it's probably not. You know, yeah. it's not out of the, the norm that you weren't exposed to it. Mm-hmm. And then I guess, as you probably grew, it became something of the past, I suppose. Uh, but it has popped up and... Yeah, no, like, what's good is that even though you're watching this for the first time, yeah, um, I enjoy the fact that I've I've sort of exposed you to this movie. Well, You know, in, in a way like a recommendation. I can be like, hey, mate, watch this movie. Well, without, you know, showing the cards too early um, before we get into it all, like, you know, I think it's a... It's, it's, it's worth a watch, um, and we'll probably talk about why in, in, in a second. Um, so, from a start point, it's budget, um, it's, and it's box office. It had a budget of $36 million, and its box office taking was between uh, $288 and $350 million. Um, so, it's the highest earning film for Paramount Pictures in 1988, and it was the third highest grossing film um, in the US um, in 1988. Critically, though, um, mm-hmm. it received positive reviews upon release, which is right. good to hear. At the moment, Rotten Tomatoes has it at 67%, which is an average of 6 out of 10, based on 46 reviews, and Metacritic, 47 out of 100, based on 16 reviews. Right. So moderate moderate there. Um, I would... Do you know if it's got a cult status now? Is this one of those movies that's turned into a cult status? I mean, I saw... I did see in, in doing the research here that um, yeah. some people have described it as, as reaching that level, especially yeah. in terms of like um, African-American community and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I guess uh, primarily a lot of the, the majority of the actors in this film are African-American. Yeah. And I think there is that appeal um, there. So yeah, okay, fair enough. So perhaps um, maybe a champion film for for uh, black Americans, um, but uh, African-Americans, but we... Um, yeah, so like I said, I, I don't know if um, it had ended up by having its, you know, enduring legacy from a cult point of view over I mean, here. I don't know if it did here, but I could see it would over yeah. there. Short answer, based on what Wikipedia says, maybe. yes, yes. <laughs> All right. Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for best costume design, um, and it was nominated for best makeup, um, which is fantastic, especially the you know the opening you know act. You see lots of uh, you know diverse costumes like that. Uh, the wedding ceremony, not the wedding ceremony, the I guess the introduction ceremony. Well, the introduction to the. Re- I mean, it was yeah. a wedding, wasn't it? I think it. Yeah, it was meant to be a wedding, wasn't it? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, yeah lots of the, lots of stuff going on. All there. those Amanda, like yeah, the costuming, all that kind of stuff, and then we we go into the makeup later, and you've got prosthetics yeah. and stuff where Eddie Murphy's, you know, like three different characters. It's all, and it's Rick Baker. I mean, just one of the million nominations for Academy Award that Rick Baker's probably had. I would assume. So. Um, diving into the franchise of this film, um, you think, hey, at the moment there's only one movie. What are you talking about? Well, mm. um, there is a second movie. So, you know, it is yep. a franchise. The franchise consists of two films, one we haven't seen yet, um, as well as a couple of foreign remakes and a singular television pilot. So, of course, we've got this film uh, coming to America, 1988, as we've said, directed by John Landis. Mm-hmm. Um, the sequel, Coming to America. Now, the two is the number two. 
just uh, very creative. Yes, absolutely. I love it. Um, obviously, coming out this year, uh, March. Yes, um, that film studio will be doing a quick review of it when it does. Uh, when it does reach you yeah when it does reach us in however that's happening yeah. um, this film will be directed by Craig Brewer I've got a brief uh, plot thing here for it so this movie set after the events of the first film the sequel follows f- uh, former Prince Akeem Joffa um, as he uh, is set to become king of Zamunda he discovers he has a son he never knew about in America a street savvy Queens native named Lavelle played by Jermaine Fowler honouring his royal father's uh, diring wish to groom his son as the crown prince uh, Akeem and Semi uh, set off once again to America so we've got Eddie Murphy Arsenio Hall back mm-hmm. again so it's going to be great it's, it's going to be good. It's apparently it's got, um, I mean, a, you know, apart from yeah, Sino Hall um, and Eddie Murphy, you know, a lot of the original cast are, are reprising in some capacity. I think it's, you know, that's a, it's a, it's a true, you know, a true reflect, a true uh, sequel of, of sorts. We know? just, we just hope it's, we just hope it's good. Um, now, television-wise, yeah. there was a TV show called Coming to America, or at least there was almost a TV show. Um, we got a TV pilot in 1989. Um, this was for a weekly sitcom version of the film, which was produced for CBS by Eddie Murphy Television Enterprises in association with Paramount. Um, this was to star Tommy Davidson as Prince Tariq and Paul Bates reprising his role as Oha. So the pilot went unsold, but mm-hmm. was televised on July 4th in 89 as part of the CBS Summer Playhouse pilot anthology series. Right. Um, now, what this show was going to be about, or at least based on this first episode anyway, mm-hmm. irresponsible Prince Tariq of Zamunda has been exiled to attend college in America by the king, his brother Akeem. Um, it, however, takes only nine days living in Queens, New York, for Tariq to blow his allowance. <laughs> so in order to make ends meet, Tariq and his assistant Oha find jobs in the diner owned by their landlord, Carl Mackey, who was played by John Hancock. Great. Yeah, look, based on this description and what this TV pilot was about, I'm assuming none of it is canon. Right. I'm looking at where the the second movie is. Yeah. uh, Plot-wise. Do you know if it was intended to be within the same... You know, within the same universe as the original, you know, or was it, um, or was well, it just another retelling of, you know, a different interpretation of the same kind of? Well, story? I mean, it's still, it still, it, it seemed like a sequel. I mean, now Eddie Murphy's character was now king, uh, so this was about his his younger brother, um, mm-hmm. and you had uh, with Paul Bates reprising the role as Oha, point. that assistant, so it, it like, set into it a little bit. Whether yeah. or not Eddie Murphy was to have a cameo. I mean, he it was his production, production company, so was in there, so I mean, yeah. he was involved in some capacity, uh, I suppose. I could have seen, a, you know, if this kicked off, you know, a glorified cameo at some point yeah. as King or, you know, touch and base back with the with the homeland. And if you look at that, like the pilot was scheduled, or produced in um, 1989, so it was only a year after the release um, and the success of Coming to America. So, you, yeah, okay, looking at that, that evidence... Maybe their mindset was just to kind of expand that universe a little bit beyond. Uh, so there were some remakes. Um, a Tamil film, yeah. My Dear Martha was produced based on the plot of Coming to America. Mm. There was also a Hong Kong film, The Fun, The Luck and The Tycoon, which also had the same plot. Right. Um, I, I haven't checked out any of these. Cool. Uh, I'm assuming you haven't either. Same, never heard of <laughs> But they mm. exist. It's cultural impact. Um, so Coming to America features Eddie Murphy um, and... Uh, a Sino Hall in several different roles, um, of various colours, creeds, and genders. 
Now, following the success of this film, this actually became um, a Murphy staple, um, and you would have seen it in uh, other films beyond that. Uh, the Vampire in Brooklyn did it, Nutty Professor in its sequel, um, The Clumps, and then Norbert. Some um, pop potentially, depending on your uh, preferences, not as critically acclaimed as this one, but uh, so this really kind of kicked off that, um, yeah, that, that kind of stereotype for Murphy to take on multiple roles within his his um, his movies. Well, let's let's talk about that barbershop scene because that's mainly yeah. where I mean we'll touch base with the you know like the Black Awareness meeting a bit later on, but yeah, uh, mainly like the barbershop scene here because in the grand scheme of things, this the scenes with the barbershop. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's a couple of them, but they don't really play a larger role in the movie, yeah. except for just like an isolated sort of gag, almost like a sketch. Yeah. Um, so I feel like let's just talk about it here whilst we're talking about the fact that you know Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall are playing multiple roles and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, now you've got Eddie Murphy as Clarence, the the owner of the barbershop with a um, gold tooth. That's the one. Yeah. He's yep. also playing Soul, who is a <laughs> a Jewish customer, a white. Jewish customer, an elderly man. Yeah. Um, we got Arsenio Hall is Morris. He's one of the barbers. Yeah. And um, then within the same scene, Clint Smith is Sweets, another barber. Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, Cuba Gooding Jr. makes his debut yeah. as the boy getting the haircut. Absolutely. Um, apparently, there were some deleted. Uh, there was a deleted scene where there's a whole conversation about he can't afford a haircut yeah. and all this kind of stuff, but um, didn't make it. Yeah. Gutting stuff. Would would have liked to see it. Um. But yeah, like with these scenes, and you know, they're very similar to what you get in, you know, like the Nutty Professor and stuff like that with like the family. Mm. There's just a lot of high volume yelling, screaming, yeah. and it's like you've got to have a sharp ear to actually follow the conversation. And yeah. there's a lot of gags, um, mm. a lot of really funny dialogue that's in it. Yeah. Um, but again, if you if you just tune out, it <laughs> to be honest, it's it, a big blur. It, it is just a big blur. Very creative how they do it. The makeup looks great. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like for me, I'm like, yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's funny, but you've really got to be paying attention. Absolutely. Otherwise, I don't know what's going on. And it's and it's full on. And if you think like you know the the sheer amount of prosthetics and things involved with um the different roles that the characters mm. are taking. It would have been a very long process um, and disjointed process to actually film that, um, especially you know having a, a you know a young Cuba Gooding Jr. in the in the mix of it at some point, just being a participant. Yeah, he probably sat there uh, for hours as just, they did all this yeah. stuff, like, um, or did, did all you know all of Clarence's takes, and then all of Saul's takes, and everything like that. Um, so yeah, it's just. It's I can um, imagine, it's, like, re- it's really quite creative. Based you could on, tell they would have had a good a bit of fun with it. For like sure. based on Eddie Murphy's, you know, like. Um, but his stand up, his his time on like SNL and stuff mm. like that, you know, doing sketches and just a, you know, just his improv comedy stuff. I can imagine there would be hours upon hours of um, just footage and different takes and dialogue and just random tangents of conversation yeah. and um, all of that just taking place. So it would be a gem to, to watch all of that stuff and yeah, they put it together yeah just what they ended up with apparently um, Sol you know because so Sol uh, he's so that's Eddie Murphy basically wearing um, prosthetics and he's white um, and he yeah what is it he's an old Jewish man or something like that yeah but um, so apparently he put his prosthetics on and things and he was walking down the he wanted to test out how well it was so he got in a golf buggy and went down somewhere else in the in the lot um, and said, hey, look, I'm Eddie Murphy, you know, in full prosthetics, and, and no one believed him. him. So it was, it was good enough for that. And that's why 
Academy Award nomination. There we go. <laughs> there you go. On your Rick Baker. <laughs> um, so, so that's the, that's the legacy. It's got a bit of a stamp, and and you know, moving forward, it's uh, Eddie Murphy's kind of built a bit of trope around it. Um, direct the director of this, John Landis. He's got himself has got a little bit of a legacy. Um, Coming to America actually was a, re, a reuniting of Eddie Murphy and John Landis. Um, they previously worked together on the, the comedy hit Trading Places, which was in 1983. Now, have you have you seen Trading Places? No. Oh. I know a little bit about it, but I haven't seen it. Great movie. Put it on at like Christmas time. Yeah, great. Cool. Nice one. <laughs> um, that's got Dan Aykroyd in it, right? It does, yeah. yeah. But funnily enough, in this movie, obviously, we've got the two. We've got Eddie Murphy and um, John Landis reuniting. Mm. But Don... Uh, Amechi and Ralph Bellamy actually mm. reprised their roles as Mortimer and Randolph Duke, respectively, from Trading Places. So they yeah. were two characters from that movie. Um, the antagonists, um, uh, in, in such a degree. Yeah. Um, so after this happened in that movie, after being left bankrupt from Dan Aykroyd and Eddie Murphy's characters in Trading Places, <laughs> um, a now homeless Mortimer and Randolph receive a cash handout by Eddie Murphy's character in this movie, Coming to America. And we've got Randolph proclaiming, Mortimer, we're back. So it's a nice little nod. Um, and then they're super happy. They're knocking on the cafe walls, um, saying, thank you, thank you, son. Do you know what? Start of a shared cinematic universe right here. There you go. Happening. You saw it here first. There you go. Um, back in 1988. I've got another point here um, that uh, just, I've added to the notes here. And it's it's John Landis's, um habit of including... Um, the concept of see you next Wednesday in different properties. I did read. Yeah, I did so, read. Um, did you Did you catch it in the film? Nah, I read so, a little bit about it and I know what it was so it's in, about. So it's in the subway when he's when he's going to go uh, trying to get Lisa. Yeah. Lisa back. There's a big poster on the wall, and basically, for for those of you who aren't familiar with the concept of see you next Wednesday in John Landis's films, he just puts a a kind of a. Um, in some way, a hint to the, the the line or the movie, but ultimately, see you next Wednesday is a it's a movie that's always coming up. It's always it's always into in cinemas soon. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it, but the thing is, it it always changes. So each movie that you see the reference to it, it's like it's a completely different movie. Like it's not connected in any way. But it's the uh, same title. Okay. So in this time, uh, we see it, and it's it's in the subway, but it's actually starring Dan Aykroyd, Jamie Lee Curtis, James Brown, and a few others, and it looks like a from memory, I think it looks like a sci-fi space adventure. Um, and Fantastic. You know, and you only see it for a couple <laughs> of seconds, but there's a whole bunch of them. Jump on uh, IMDb if you're curious to see where it's popped up. Like, this uh, is like places. opening me up to some long, exhausted Easter egg. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to jump into. Let's get into, let's get into this movie then. Okay. Um, we'll start. I mean, let's start off with a movie starts. Zamunda. What do I have to say? Actually, the very first thing I wrote down when I was um, watching it was it was actually more along the lines of um, just the the production value of like you know the overhead stuff and all of that. But um, it was very very clearly painted matte backdrops. Oh, like with the superimposed like elephants and things. Walking, like the, the exterior, the exterior yeah. of the palace. Um, yeah. I was like, okay, nineteen eighty eight. I can see you. It's fine. It's all good. But yeah, no, it's great. It's nothing great. Nothing was um, nothing was HD. It was fine. We we, we could go away with that. Now, apparently, uh, Zamunda, like the name of the fictional. Um, was taken from a Richard Pryor routine yeah. where he referred to a fictional African tribe of the same name. There you so go. a little bit of origin there, there you go. for you. The, um, that's the, uh, the opening sequence. Um, so you, you recognise the song? 
I, I did, and I wrote it down in my notes. Well, in my head, I was like, I was but thinking, I was like, you know, it sounds like it sounds like that song. And then, yeah, uh, yeah in the research, I was like, well, there it is. Yep. There it is. So it's, um, I'll tell you this one. So it's the, uh, there's a South African chorus. It's called uh, Ladysmith uh, Black Mambazo, I think. Um, and they sing um, Mumbai. Mumbai, I think, I don't know how quite to pronounce it. But it's... Uh, the English version of that song is actually The Lion Sleeps Tonight. And yeah. it's got a very similar um, chord um, chord progression throughout it um, and, and, and similar repetition with uh, Wimbleware and, and things like that. It's very, very cool. Um, they also, they're, they're very prominent um, with African-themed um, just kind of uh, choral music and things. So they had a quite, a, quite a large impact with The Lion King 2. Um, like the hit song that came out of that, oh, that yeah. was, they they produced that and, and sung a lot of that alongside the voice actors and things as well. But they have influences in a lot of African culturally themed products like this one. So um, very cool. I thought it was cool, and I thought it was catchy as it was opening, as it was buzzing over, as we're watching everything go through oh, the trees yeah. and things, and and I was like, what is that sound? I've heard this sound it's before. So familiar. What so familiar. Uh, so, now Prince Akeem. Mm. Um, obviously, we got Eddie Murphy. And yeah. if we are going to really get into this, his, his character is where we should start. Now, yeah. Eddie Murphy's performance. Um, now, we, we, we've done like a rewind review of uh, Beverly Hills Cop. Right. I think that's the only Eddie Murphy movie we've, we've, we've I think touched, so. I think. I can't think of anything stage. else. Yeah. I mean, maybe we'll do Shrek. <laughs> <laughs> if you do Holy Man, that's got Jeff Goblin in it. That was oh, like yeah, a yeah. early was, 90s uh, thing. There you go. We do, so. like, we do love Goldblum. We do. Um, but Eddie, Eddie Murphy's performance in this. Now, what I like about his character is that from the get-go, I mean, obviously he he's from a, a world, a life of privilege and mm. um, just being spoiled and being treated like, you know, the world revolves around him and, you know, that's supposed to be as it should be. Yeah. Um, but he's, his character from the get-go is immediately trying to... Um, pretty much defy that, um, break free of that, yeah. and, and is working against that whole notion. It's like, no, that this isn't quite right. There's something different mm-hmm. out there. Yeah. Um, and whether he's actually aware of, you know, like this isn't how it should be. It's sort of just him trying to break free. Yeah. Like you know, like why should I be? It's like turn twenty one. Why should I be bathed? Why should yeah. I be followed by you know the petals of roses and flowers and yeah. stuff like that? Why do I need a royal wiper? Exactly. Can I wipe my own ass? Can I tie yeah. my own shoe? Think. What do you say? I'm, 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 I'm turned 21. I think I could probably have this one by myself. Yeah. Nonsense. Nonsense. Royal wipers. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so he's, from the very start point, the way he's established is he is very much looking at his life of privilege and going, no, I don't really want this. Yeah. It's not really what I want. But throughout, throughout the whole movie, I mean, uh, his character really doesn't waver from, um, you know, like sort of, morally doing the wrong thing I mean the closest thing he does to you know something questionable is I guess obviously hiding the truth but obviously his his motives behind that are um, yeah they could be you know, considered like, sound they're, in, they're, yeah sound in, they're from a good yeah. place he you know he yeah. doesn't want a, a woman to fall for him for his for his wealth for his yeah. royalty all well, that kind of stuff and you see it reinforced throughout you know with with um, the character Lisa's sister I can't remember her name at the moment It'll be in the notes that are here. Yeah, but, we'll but, get to her and we'll. we'll but, we, we'll, but, but ultimately, <laughs> just that, that quick contrast is, I think, is there is to show what people do when they're aware of the yeah. truth. Um, and so he is very firm. He doesn't want to go that way. He wants to, to be, you know, show his honest personality without his honest uh, the benefits of being around him or with him. 
Yeah. So. I mean, he does think... I mean, when they do get to Queens, he, do, he does have this strong belief that it's like, I have to be the poorest of the poor. Yeah. So, I mean, I guess that's probably pushing the envelope a little bit. It's like, well, you don't need to go to that extreme. But, I mean, yeah. the comedy effect or that kind of stuff, that plays into it. But yeah. genuinely, like, he's a... He, a nice character. He's a, he's a good character to root for and to follow. Mm. Um, and Eddie Murphy is putting a lot of heart into the character as well. Yeah. You know, it's not all it's not all just laughs and yeah. and all that kind of stuff. A bit of crude humour and stuff. Is, yeah, well, there's something genuine about it. Well, I, think it's, I think you're right. It is genuine. There's a lot of nuance with his performance as well because he's, when he's being loud and over the top, you know, that, that's, uh, you know, him being a fish out of the water in those environments. But, you know, in those isolated <laughs> moments when he's with Lisa and he's, you know, just sitting on a swing set and, you know, he's not really actually doing anything other than listening to her. But the whole purpose of it is he is a good suitor for her because he is listening and he cares about her. And, yeah. and he just, he portrays that without having to say it. Nothing has to be said. He just, you just watch him and you're like, well, yeah. he's obviously a caring, you know, motivated man. And the motivation is he wants to be with somebody who likes him um, and can appreciate him and like and and you know within the that that opening um, scene where he's introduced to his new fiance slash future wife, you know the very first thing he says to her is, "What do you want to bloody do?" Yeah, like, let's Don't, get to I know, know each other. Yeah. Let's. Um... Yeah. I know you want to serve me, hence dog barking, etc. Oh, but... that leads into like the, the funniest thing <laughs> yeah. just from the get go. <laughs> it's it is hilarious. Dog barking. Bark like a dog. <laughs> Hop on one leg. <laughs> Leave the room, <laughs> and off you go. But um. Ultimately, yeah, his motivations as a character are to find somebody. He's in this world. He wants to find somebody who he can share it with without them being just a product of the system, without them being just a, a robot for service because he has, you know, all of people dropping roses. He's got people bloody, what are they called? Pe- royal penis cleaners and bathers <laughs> and things. The royal penis is now clean. <laughs> his alarm clock is an orchestra. Like, it's, yeah, it's... So yeah, he just wants to get out. But I also know that you know that fish out of the water concept in Queens when he gets there. He also still, even though he's happy to take it all on, he's also happy to go back to that other life. Exactly. Yeah. But, like, and he says he'll offer it up. He says I'll give it up for you. But ultimately, he's still happy to participate in it if that's what she wants. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't have a drive to be poor. He's just being it temporarily. You know. Well, King Jaffa, uh, Joffa, and Queen Aeolian. <laughs> Alien. <laughs> um, played by James L. Jones and Madge Sinclair. Now they're they're obviously his parents. I mean the two. I mean they're, they're what their performances are. Uh, it's just royalty. There's elegance to them. There's mm-hmm. a mannerism which is I don't know, just oozes all that kind of stuff. This yeah. This uh, I'm trying not to say the word pride. It's <laughs> <This> African <laughs> nation where it's like they take pride in who they are and what they are. Yeah. Um, but again, not to the extent where like they don't come across as assholes. No. I mean the pompous, but not pompous. assholes. James L. Jones. I mean, maybe a bit ignorant in in his methods and all that kind of stuff. But it's like he just comes across more as like just firm. You know, like this is tradition. This is what tradition, we do. Well, yeah, yeah, that royal kind of thing. Would, um, Madge Sinclair, her character, a little bit more of, a little bit more of, I think, the motherly nature, especially later on in the movie when he starts to realise it's like, oh, this mm. is what Akeem's been doing. Yeah, this is what his intentions are, and yeah, you know, and 
she has a little bit more of a nurturing sort of yeah. feel. Well, it's in those moments as, moments as well where James um, James L. Jones, so his character actually goes, this is how it's always been, this is our tradition, and she turns around like, um, and turns around and goes, aren't you the king? Like, yeah. literally puts it to him and says, so what? It's like, you're the king, make the decision. Hang on, they're like, like yeah, we can, can change something. Yeah. Like, you are the king. It, it, um, I thought, yeah, I was under the impression you were the king. But speaking of king so, and queen, yeah. James L. Jones and Madge Sinclair... They would go on to provide the voices for Mufasa and Sarabi in the Disney animated classic, The Lion King. Is that not amazing? And I have to admit, as soon as like, if you close your eyes, like, as soon as um, James Earl Jones talking, it's like, oh Mufasa. Yeah, I mean, you see him. I mean, in this like they're playing these two characters are playing the essentially the king and queen Queen. of the Pride Lands. Now you listen to James Earl Jones, you hear him in other roles. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, he has, you know, he has an amazing voice, all that kind of stuff. But I think because he's playing a king here... He's regal. Regal is that word I was thinking of before. (laughs) Regal. He is regal. And and he also is, as Mufasa, he's wise and regal. Yeah, yeah. it's almost like... It does. It sounds the same. He's doing the same thing (laughs) as Mufasa later on, which is is fantastic. Um, So you can hear, you know, he doesn't sound like Darth Vader here. He doesn't sound like the CNN voice. He doesn't Mm. sound like whatever else he's done. But But, you can hear Mufasa... Obviously, after the fact, but yeah, absolutely, it's great. I actually really like their um, their relationship with each other, and also with um, with Akeem as well. And um, you know, when they're sitting down, it's his ber- it's the twenty first birthday. Akeem's sitting at one end of the table, mm. and it's a com- you know comedically long table, and they sit at the other end, and they've got, the got an intercom, yeah, intercom thing. But they notice straight away; they can see him, and he's just not happy at the other end of the table. And like, what's so, wrong? So they, <laughs> what's wrong, my son? But they. But the, the, it's more the, uh, the you know the interaction with each other where they're like, hang on, something isn't right. Mm. We we're going to have to do something. It's not a case of, it's not the you know the tradition goes to a point where it's but he still care. They still care about their son and they want the best for him, even if there is a structure and a tradition in place. And then you know, proof of that is Akeem decides to instead of using intercom comes up, and then all of a sudden it shakes the whole ground of you know, everyone's. <laughs> Rose petals everywhere, all this stuff, and then yeah, um, just because he was breaking the uh, whatever the tradition is in that moment. That's right. So I gotta say, I think everything that happens in Zamunda in the you know this whole opening sequence, mm. um, whether it's like the twenty minutes or so, I think the funniest uh, parts of the movie is that I mean, there's so much more later on, but I mean, just everything that's happening, everything's perfectly done. It's funny. It sets the stage. You understand everything that's sort of going on. You get an insight to everyone's sort of psyche and yeah. where they're at with, with each character. It's, it's great. I think just what a great start to the movie. And then to cap it off, you've got almost a wedding. Almost. Where, like you mentioned, you know, like the whole scene with the with the intended wife played by Vanessa Bell, the that whole conversation and interaction between her and Eddie Murphy. Mm. Uh, I just love the, f- the part where Eddie Murphy like, spikes the camera where he stares straight to the camera just yeah. and gives that look and it's like... A little bit of a 4-4 four, 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 four break which, yeah. which is all good. And it happens later on with um, the Daryl character when him with the little sister and it's like, oh, I'll take off your wet clothes and he's just like, hello. Yeah, it's like, what's going <laughs> on? They do it again sort of thing. Uh, but I think the standout moment, I mean, we get that awesome sort of ceremonious mm. sort of dance number um, and apparently the choreography was done by Paula Abdul. Apparently it was um, a higher t- tempo version of the Thriller. Yeah, oh, Michael Jackson, well. that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it does look pretty amazing. And, and I'm not going to lie, the outfits look incredible as well. I'd leave it to Paula Abdul yeah. to pull and, off something like that. There yeah, we go. Um, but I think Paul Bates' little 
<laughs> performance singing. Um, I mean, I can't remember the dialogue. Uh, or the I've, I've got a line here, but it, yeah, go. No, no, go for it. So it's wonderful. So he's singing, but he's singing about you know this new wife. That, you know, oh, and how yeah. she will obey. She will obey everything <laughs> you do, and, and and he says he says completely free from infection to be used at your discretion. <laughs> so it's just like yeah, here's your property that is walking towards. What you. I love is that like he's so passionate in his performance, yeah. and then when he's done. Straight face. <laughs> yeah, straight face. But it is such a... Like, he can sing, obviously, but it's yeah. just in a complete joke what the content, content is. The comedic timing is, um, is, is fantastic, but... Yeah. You know, it's just a, a whole... Just a, a short little Zamunda movie, like, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it really, really was. And then ultimately, as you, you know, um, uh, Akeem just decides that, you know, we're going to wait, and he wants to go to America to find his wife, which is, you know, where the rest of the, uh, the, the movie yeah. happens. LA or New York... Flip a coin, coin, New York. There you go. But where's a suitable place in New York to find someone suited for a king? Naturally, it's got to be Queens. Queens. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Um, I thought it was great. I wanted to, uh, before we move away from Zamunda quickly, though, just a couple of lines that um, James Earl Jones said. He said, because he, he has that confiding moment where he's, you know, Eddie Murphy's, Akeem's saying, I even just, I want to learn how to tie my shoes and things. And um, James Earl Jones goes, I did it once. It's overrated. Like you know, tying your own shoelaces once. Yeah, I did it once. I did it once. It's overrated. But also, he says he goes. Um, there's a fine line between love and nausea, in regards to just you know being around uh, you know your partner, and that's just through the lens of people around your marriage, and it's yeah, you know, you, oh, you, you end up like growing your love. But um, and again, you get a you get a good look from Madge Sinclair. She's just like the hell. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty pretty good stuff. Um, I think it's great. And it, and as as he walks, as he's having that moment with his father, he's walking through the park. The baby elephant comes up. and He goes, I don't know if you remember, but he goes, "Hello, Baba." Yeah, Baba. Like, 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 like Baba, the, Baba the, the elephant. elephant. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was awesome. But anyway, great kids show. They move out as a Monday, and they head off to Queens, and 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 let's talk about that. Let's talk about that whole that whole element. Well, we got to mention Semi. Um, oh yeah, of course. This is where he sort of kicks into it. Um, he's obviously gone along with the on the little adventure. Yeah. Um, now the main thing here is that, like, what is he? Is he like a royal advisor? Is he a servant? Is he whatever he is? He's a friend of Akeem. Yes. That's what it comes down to. Yeah. Um, and their friendship really is um, sort of on display here. I mean, he even has like an allowance. Yeah. It's all very of like three hundred thousand dollars or something silly like that. Oh, it's something really. It's almost like here's your allowance, but you have unlimited money. <laughs> <laughs> um, but there's a lot of comedy to have with um, Arsenio Hall's character, uh, Sammy, as they as they go about. Yeah. He's like Akeem's very keen to just dive into whatever he needs to do. Yeah. Um, live in the poorest looking apartment. Um, get a job in fast food, you know, yeah. mop and floors, whatever he, he has to do, he's 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 up for it. Whereas Sammy's questioning everything that's happening, and he yeah. hates everything. Yeah, he he's like he's he a, goes along with it, but he's like he's a servant with privilege. Like mm-hmm. it's it's it is crazy. Yeah, um, he does go along with it, but he he does like to whinge along the way. Yeah, he does. But for good comedic. Yeah, effect. and and he's ultimately the reason why. Uh, I mean, he's the catalyst for the films conclusion which you know they run out of money eventually or no he loses his allowance because right, he keeps he, on spending it on he calls the king uh, he, he calls he faxes the king or whatever the heck they what is it like yeah um why why is the king something like that oh, like, it's a, no, i don't know he, it's he, a teller it's, he sends a message it's a telegram, a message. It's a telegram. <laughs> and then instead of the king sending them more money because he's had his allowance taken off him he just comes to queens. Concerned, yeah. um 
So it's all Sammy's fault, really. <laughs> um, but uh, ultimately, though, it's Sammy's fault that they are together because um, without that entire se- sequence happening, it does. Yeah, it, it wouldn't. Have, the truth wouldn't have come out or anything like that. So, but Sammy is he's a loyal friend, but he does he challenges all of the ideas because he doesn't like losing his privilege. So yeah, I um, mean, and then he's pretty much dropped, you know, in the, in the heart of you know the slums of Queens. Um, we should talk about the, the representation of Queens. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's dark, gritty, <laughs> a little bit scary. Yeah. It really is. Um, but I mean, as soon as they pull up... Everything for comedic like, offence, though. Yeah. yeah, they pull up, all their luggage is stolen. stolen. as soon as they close the door. The, um, did you notice, like, so there was a uh, the element when they were in the airport, and you got British Airways next door, and there's not a single black... Um, person in that crowd at all. There's not a single African American on screen. Oh, you know, and I didn't actually notice, but it, and, you know, that makes and sense. The, yeah, and the sure. PA announcement, it's, I think it, it's, it's intentional for sure. The PA announcement goes, you know, it says somebody, somebody, which is actually the namesake for Frank Oz, but yeah. they, they say Frank Oz and Mandy or whatever hell his name is. And they say, could you please uh, contact us by the, conven- um, the convenience uh, white phone. It's a white phone. Yeah. And it's a crowd of white people. And there's, there's just two African Americans walking through the crowd of so, white people. I mean, there's, I mean, there's two so. things there um, with that. It, obviously, the contrast of them you know, standing up because, oh, yes, they're black amongst a white crowd, um, which I didn't really take much note of, but I guess that's that's a factor. But also the fact, like, the, the conversation they're having, we must blend in. We don't mm. want anyone knowing we're coming from royalty or anything yeah. like that. And they're wearing like these robes, robes stuff, these, yeah. like, these these gems around them and stuff like that. Their entourage of luggage handlers yeah. and, and all that. I mean, that's the comedic side to it. But I guess yeah, you're right. There is that other side to yeah. the to the context. Well, it is. You know, it's a uh, it's um it's I think it's in contrast because one of the lines that Eddie Murphy says is, you know, I want to see what real Americans are like and things. And it's like, well, you know, if you if you put your socio-political hat on a little bit, it's actually quite... The contrast was made quite clear there mm. is... And I, I do believe John Landis made it intentionally, is to go, hang on, you're actually... You're coming from royalty where you're, uh, you know, you're at a higher level of status and you're moving into a space where you're, you know, people who you identify with are actually going to be very, very much um, disadvantaged. But so, that's where, I mean, he, he does say, like, to the, to the taxi driver, you know, like, take me to the poorest... Yeah accommodation sort of thing or whatever you said like the poorest town um and then you know you get there and there is the community except for that one white jewish person up there at the barber yeah. shop yeah. like everyone essentially is is black or african-american yeah. or at least the characters that we see anyway yeah um but that takes us to the room <laughs> the room, the room. They, yeah now we meet <laughs> the landlord played by um frankie phase on which yeah. you know Funny enough character, he just goes with it. At first, he's just like, you guys are scamming me. And then, you know, it's like, they've got money, so he lets them in. The yeah. room that he takes them to, like, this actually had me in stitches yeah, it, um, yeah. every time. It's like, yeah, a blind guy used to stay here. It's like a crime scene. And then the, the tape or the tra- whatever they yeah. have, like, around, like, the body outline. And he's got For his cane. Yeah. And it's like, damn shame what they did with that dog. Look, yeah. Oh, gosh. Like, oh, man. It was hilarious <laughs> just looking at it. And, and that toilet, you know, where they say, look, you've only got one toilet on this floor. It's got an insect problem, but that shouldn't be a problem for you guys coming from Africa. <laughs> right. So you should be right. Um but it is just yeah, gross. He says what he says. There's only one window, and it faces a black brick wall, yeah. which I did read is actually there was a um, a uh, inconsistency with some of the filming because later on you see the window. Later on you see multiple windows that they're hanging out of talking, um, and a balcony and a fire escape. So ultimately, that's yeah, a, true, yeah. a continuity issue. But 
um, where he's he's like, you know, hello New York or hello Queens, and someone says fuck you, and he turns around and goes fuck you too. And yeah, that's true. Happy. That's yeah. true. So, but ultimately, yeah, the room is just a disgrace, <laughs> an utter disgrace. Until uh, Semi decides to use his allowance to, to pretty it up with a big spa bath and oh, it's all his stuff. Nuts, yeah. And then they trade it. With, and then the landlord um, trades it landlord, for his yeah. own. <laughs> Great stuff. So, um, now, they, they obviously hit, they hit the, the, the bars and clubs looking for an ideal woman. Um, and we, get, <laughs> we just get a funny sequence with <laughs> multiple women... Just saying things that are both shocking, terrifying, <laughs> yep. disturbing. Um, uh, we even get Arsenio Hall dressed up as what is credited as incredibly ugly woman or something like that's, that. Yeah, yeah, an extremely ugly girl. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> um, and so when we're watching it, uh, you know, myself and the wife, I was like, "That's that's Semi. That's the actor. Like this is what they do. They jump into different characters." Yeah. She's like, "Is that? Are you sure?" And I'm like, like, "Oh, oh it definitely yeah. is. It definitely is." So, um, but uh, it's funny. Um, and they say they go to every, all the bars and clubs in Queens. I doubt it. Come on, mate. Come on. They went to like at least six. At least <laughs> but um, but uh, yeah, no, it is quite funny. And they, they're looking because they just assume that the perfect woman would be out there, and they would find them so quickly. And that is not the case. Not at all. No, yeah, cut out. So, um, let's talk about Soul Glow. They they come yeah. across a, a commercial for for Soul Glow. Yep. Which is essential and you know exciting. Yep, tickles me in that little place. <laughs> like it's just, it's, a, it's sort of an odd kind of ad. Um, yep. But I mean, there's a connection to um, Eric LaSalle's character, Daryl Jenks. Um, his father actually owns Soul Glow, but we'll get back to Daryl yep. a bit later. Um, I just want to mention the jingle for the commercial was composed by Niall Rogers, who um, suggested it is his proudest moment. <laughs> Which I thought was quite funny. And now the the vocals were provided by Christopher Max. But I just wanted to give them a shout out. But it's very, very interesting. And um, Soul Glow just appears everywhere throughout the entire movie. Yeah, just, just a um, fictional product within the, the yeah. world. It's like, all right. Did yeah. you see... Um, I know we said we'll talk about Daryl later. But uh, just the concept of um, Soul Glow, how it's like a spray-on to kind mm. of make things moist and things. Yeah. Can you remember Daryl's family later on when they're at um, the uh, McDowell house? And they turn when they walk into a room. They've all got like wet backs because of the the hair. That's right. Well, they're all yeah, using soul glow. They get up. Family. They get up from the couch, and yeah, yeah there's that. There's that gag. Yeah, it's all wet. soaking wet, gross, dripping <laughs> from the hair from soul soul glow. Yeah, that's right. Very cool. Um, there's a blackness aware uh, black awareness week rally that's held, um, and here um, we see we got, we discussed the barbershop already. Uh, that's where you see. Um, Asino um, Hall and Eddie Murphy in two di- in different roles. Here they are again. Um, this one, uh, Reverend Brown features. That's Asino's role. I think he's actually the, the my favourite character out of all. Reverend Brown. Yeah, and he comes back later. And yeah. he's, he's still he's still going on. But um, just full on, like just pastor, gospel pastor. Exactly. Just like, yeah. I see the light, brother. <laughs> kind of thing. Um, and then very got, enthusiastic. <laughs> so enthusiastic. But he, uh, he's also a sexual deviant because Black Awareness Week rally, it's actually a beauty pageant as well. That's right, um, that's right. Scantily clad ladies on stage. And so you've got this man of God who's so passionate, but every now and then he just talks about how God is in this room and he's looking at the girls because they're obviously quite attractive. It's all so good stuff. It's all, <laughs> it's hilarious. But then you get, the, you get Arsenio Hall as Semi, he's lying. Uh, where it's like, sure, these are the best women that Queens has to offer. Just pick one and we'll go. Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> like, all right. Because <laughs> beauty's everything, right? That's it. 
But that whole sequence, I mean, oh yeah, we'll, we'll talk about Sexual Chocolate quickly as well. So that's the band that plays at the rally. Right, yeah. And Eddie Murphy is the lead singer, Randy Watson. Randy Watson. So, and they, it's such an awkward moment because nobody cares and nobody likes them. <laughs> they get maybe like the little kind of clap and stuff, nothing crazy. Um, but it is quite amusing. Um, and he's, you know, like fully committed to the role as well. But ultimately, that would have been a really hard sequence to shoot, that the Black Awareness Week rally, because you've got just all versions, multiple versions of um, Eddie Murphy and Asina Hall all on display there. So you've got all, all three or four interpretations of the different characters. Some, in the, some on stage, some, you know, the main focal point with um, Akeem and, and, and um, Sammy, but then also you've got the barber guys in the audience as well. Like, it's just... And it will be cutting cuts between them kind of seamlessly as if they're all part of the same situation. But ultimately, they would have been going in and out of makeups, all of this stuff. Oh, that's right, yeah. Would have been a bloody nightmare, but it would have been good fun, I reckon. Yeah, every time I... I do the same thing when it, like you get to like Nutty Professor and stuff like that. And it's just like, how do they do this logistically? It seems yeah. like, it's just, It just seems exhausting. In my mind, I'm like, this is exhausting. I read in some production notes that... Um, so this would have helped a little bit. Um, Eddie Murphy actually got $1,000 a day for his brother to step in to be a stand-in for a lot of the things. So every day that a stand-in was required, he negotiated in his contract $1,000. He also negotiated in his contract $1,500 per day for to pay his uh, physio, his um, personal trainer as well, in his contract <laughs> as well. So there you go, interesting tidbit. Oh, there, well, right, yeah, so there. they would have used stand-ins and, and doubles, I guess, for, for a lot, some of this stuff. But ultimately, all of the characters have got dialogue. So... They're the focal point at some point, you know? No, that's right, yeah. So, But the Black Awareness Week rally, nice and fun. That's where we're first introduced to uh, to Lisa. Yeah, well, we um, get an introduction to the McDowells. McDowells, yeah, that's so, right. And, and Daryl, and like, all of them, actually. Daryl, um... Well, not yeah, all of them. Cleo, yeah. the dad, yeah, Lisa, yeah. the yeah. sister. Yeah, that's right. So Patrice. Patrice, there you go. <laughs> I told you we'd mention her at some point. So, so should, we, should we talk about the McDowell family? Let's talk about McDowells. McDowells. Not McDonald's. Not McDonald's. McDowell's. Very different to McDonald's. <laughs> Super different. Super different in ways I cannot define. But so. I always used to remember in my brain because you know, like brain, you know, brain farts. It gets a bit foggy in the memory. <laughs> I used to always think that in this movie, the uni- like this in universe, McDowell's was McDonald's. Right. And then obviously watching it again like the other night, I was like, oh no no no, like McDonald's does exist. That's the whole joke. Yeah. This is just so similar. Yeah. Um. And I love the gag where um, John Amos actually his character. Yeah. He's sitting in his office by himself and he's reading a McDonald's manual. Yeah, absolutely. He says then, McDonald's operations. Yeah, operations manual. manual yeah. yeah. Um, but the, so the the restaurant they were actually seeing in the movie, like the actual physical building, um, it was actually a Wendy's that yeah. was scheduled to be closed for renovation. So they decked yeah. it out and did all that. Um, interestingly, the so production actually had approval from McDonald's corporate headquarters to. To call, call uh, it McD- yeah, McDowell's to have McDowell's to have yeah. the, the McDowell's representation in this movie. Obviously, yeah. the similarities are very similar, but because yeah. it's all fictitious and it's for comedy effect, I guess they were yeah. they were pretty cool. But which is pretty cool for a big corporation like McDonald's to allow yeah. even something so close to the Golden Arches to they be. might have they might have got some kind of kickback for that though. Oh, possibly. So, um, but I guess it, it is all in satire and parody, so it, it's I'm sure it's fine. Did, did you read though? So I read in some uh, some trivia notes that there's a local franchise McDonald's franchise that's yeah, only three kilometers up the road. They didn't tell the local store, so the franchisee uh, sent someone, or they themselves came down to take photos and threaten 
uh, legal action. Yeah. Um, because they weren't aware that this had been given, they'd been given approval and stuff for it. So. Yeah, and then they like they sent someone down to like take photos and stuff. Yeah, like. which right. is funny because in this movie, you see someone, photo, someone yeah. there's a guy standing there taking photos, and they're just like, "Get out of here!" Yeah. Like, so, but it is uh, such a it's so it is quite amusing. It's a nice, it's a funny rip off of of um, McDonald's, and it's clearly shameless. It's it's intentional. It's not a mm. oh, it's similar to McDonald's. Um, however, they probably didn't get the naming rights. It's like no day yikes. They are extremely cheeky, tongue in cheek, um, and uh, John Amos who plays Cleo McDowell. So that's uh, Lisa's dad. That's the owner of the McDowell's franchise chain. He's completely shameless. You see him uh, reading the operations manual. Yeah, he gives the overview of what the difference is between a big McDowell and a big. And Mac it's Burger. like they're all so similar, but no sesame seeds. Right? No sesame seeds on the bar and stuff. But ultimately, he says, "Oh, look, I, I was I was an underdog. I worked my way up and did all this." But ultimately, <laughs> you know, how much cre- um, credibility do you have? Because you've just ripped off somebody else's success well, I mean, anyway. A, so. be a, a burger's a burger, right? How many different ways can you do French fries? That's right. <laughs> it's like, it's all the same. <laughs> yeah, funny though, um, so John Amos, like the actor, yeah. um, he's actually got a bit of a connection to McDonald's. So he's worked, he worked at the first ever McDonald's in Canada. Right. Um, and he starred in a famous song and dance McDonald's commercial in 1971. Uh, the commercial was called Grab a Bucket and Mop. Right. Um, I did... So I I was aware of that when I was looking at the research and apparently the uh, that scene with... With the Eddie, bucket and the, the mop? Bucket ...is a little bit of a play on, like, a homage to that. To as highlight, well, yeah. Which is interesting. Because it's like, you start with mopping is a, yeah. is a mop. Do you know what, though? So John Amos, so I, I can only really identify him in one other movie and so here, because this is a comedy and he's, you know, being a little bit funny but a bit kind of weird and stuff as well but he does he he does care about his daughter um but the only other movie i've seen him in is in die hard 2 and he's a bad guy in that right like okay. he cuts someone's throat in that yeah movie. like you so i was only looking at it like a, i could only see him like that bad general dude in that movie he couldn't shake it well for the most part it. you know he's his character is pretty straight yeah. for the majority of the movie. Like he's not really playing into like the comedic side of thing. I mean, obviously, like there's, there's the funny stuff with all the McDonald's stuff. But it's all very yeah. subtle. You know, like if you're not really paying attention, you're not going to catch it. It's you, you got to be like, you got to be into it. Yeah. Um. For, for the most part, you know, he's a pretty steadfast. He's a businessman. You know, there's yeah. nothing really funny about the character or overly interesting. Mm. Um. Not until later on where you get. Um. <laughs> You know he's at home, and you know, yeah. like, you know, the, the king and queen arrive, and he's trying to hand out hors d'oeuvres. Yeah, he finds out little pigs in blankets. He finds out about Akeem's obviously <laughs> yeah. um, royalty, and, yeah, and then he's yeah. telling you know, like Lisa, that you know, like, oh, you hit the jackpot, you've really yeah. found a keeper, all this kind of stuff. Yeah, um, and he just becomes like this domestic, like nutter who's yeah, yeah putting on hors d'oeuvres, like handing yeah. things out. Um, all that kind of. I mean, I guess it's funny as well when he's at the you know he's hosting the dinner party. Yeah. That kind of thing, you know. But I think mainly near the end of the movie, he's he's suddenly he's he just like, yeah, he's just a funny character. He's just a, but his his motivations though, right? So like John um, Amos actually sells it, I think, because he says, "Look, I've had a hard life, and the only reason I want you to not be with Akeem and be with Daryl is Daryl has money, and I don't want you to have the hard life. Yeah, that like, I've, I've had worked to do. hard, so yeah, I would like you not to have to deal with like what I've had to do. And that's a nice thought, but it is in the wrong place. It's definitely yeah, like you've got to just accept like this is. It's like know. his conversation with Akeem, you know, like when he when he first is invited to the house and stuff like that, and it's yeah. like. It's like, yeah, I worked really hard for this house, you know, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And it's like, you know, in about 
20 or 30 years, maybe you'll be able to afford something like this and you'll have a house yeah. like to yourself. And Kim's like, yes, yeah. <laughs> it's great. It's like, that's great. Uh, well, it's like, again, go. his heart's in the right place, but you know, it's it's such an insulting, like sort of yeah. putting it sort of way, but he means well, it's just very ignorant. And obviously he doesn't actually know the full context of the situation. But yeah. Um, but I think I said it earlier at the top there. I think it's those kind of scenarios um, with that put in contrast the reasoning for Akeem to not be being fully truthful is people do react to wealth in different yeah, ways. Yeah, highlights uh, that. And how you're supposed to find somebody who's going to be interested in you without actually trying to just remove that element from that, you know, from the, the, the you know, the arrangement. Yeah, no, that's um, right. Um, um, I yeah. do, I think the, the key, like, solid takeaway that negates all the, the shitty things that he does say is yeah. at the end when the king is pretty much trying to buy him off and you got James Earl Jones and he's like, what does he give him, like, he offers like a million and, Two million yeah, or something, something like that, that. Yeah. and that's like that would set him up for life. All these problems would be solved. You'd think he'd be like, "All right, you know, I'll take it." But, but he, he stands his ground. He's like, "No, you've insulted my daughter. I don't want your money." Like, and yeah. he's essentially whatever he's saying. He's saying, "My daughter's come first. I'm defending them. I'm standing up for them. Yeah. Um, and I don't want your money." Yeah, and I think exactly. that's that speaks volumes with his character. Yeah, absolutely. So the motivations might not, um, you know. Uh, be presented in the in the right way sometimes, but ultimately he does he cares more about money. He cares more about his daughters than his money when it comes to the point when he he says no and he tears up a two million dollar check yeah. and then he threatens to kick a king in his in his ass and then the wife responds like yeah uh, he's like the wife responds like Whoa! yeah he's it's like, like in, in I don't way. care who you are like yeah you come into my home don't say that about my daughter yeah it's, it's like, like you, it doesn't matter if you're royalty if you're if you're the king of whatever country it's like yeah. you don't ins- you don't insult my daughter yeah it's like yeah that's so he, right. yeah he redeemed himself there um I just want to give a shout out to Maurice, who is Louis Anderson. Small role, he's one of the workers at, at McDowell's. I just figured we'd give him a shout out oh, whilst we're right. talking about the McDowell's. That's the guy that keeps on getting like milkshake spirit spilled, or is it? Well, <laughs> back to John Amber. It's like he's, I mean, Maurice is doing his job. Yeah. He's preparing the meals for the customer, and it's there, and then, um, you yeah. know, like Daryl will rock up and. Um, uh, you know, Claire would he would grab the thick shake and give it to yeah. Darren and just be like, "Yeah, have this one, mate." You like, like, yeah, like strawberry thick shakes, right? Yeah, there you go. take it. Take it's that. like he he doesn't actually give a shit about his business, <laughs> the yeah. customers, what Maurice is doing. Yeah, um, he just wants he wants Darren to be happy. Yeah, because he's the because he's the potential he's uh, the, suitor yeah, for the, the suitor for, for the, his daughter. That's right. Credited as hold up man. Yeah, Samuel L. Jackson. Absolutely. Did you see this coming? No, I did not. And when it came out, I said to the wife, I was like, hang on, is that Samuel like, Jackson? Is that Samuel is Jackson? And then he, I think he drops drops a few, like, because in there as yeah. well, or something like that. I was like, yeah, it's Who definitely. Who the fuck you? Yeah, absolutely. But that's uh, 1988, Samuel L. Jackson. That's right, a fantastic, right that's a fantastic sequence. It gives Akeem a chance to pretty much save the day. Well, they, they established it earlier when, he, when it beckons them under that he obviously is quite uh, well-trained with martial arts that's and right, things. Yeah. Um, it's just like a throwaway thing with him and Sammy, but here the two of them they team up and like they give themselves the, the eye and they slowly unwind the uh, the, the mop handle yeah. from it and then they he, look at each other and they're like yeah okay we're gonna do this. He even and says then, even says to Lisa like excuse me yeah excuse me yeah so I think that's a great great little sequence but yeah um, Sam Jackson gets his ass kicked and apparently he's uh, robbed us that same place five times or something <laughs> like that <laughs> and you got Daryl corner like cowering in the corner that's right and then later on he's like oh you must have learnt that uh, you know fighting off wild animals and stuff and you know that game's just like 
Yeah. Yes, that's, that's, that's what right. we did. Yeah. <laughs> Go along with it. All right, let's talk about the daughters. Yep. Um, let's start with the least important one. Uh, Patrice McDowell, so played by Vanessa Bell. So her character, I mean, it starts off that because Lisa is, you know, with Daryl, um, she shows an interest in Akeem, um, and they go on a double mm. date, and it's sort of like yeah. she's interested in Akeem, and Akeem's sort of obviously not keen at all. Yeah. Akeem is not keen. There we go. I said that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, that's her character yeah. is younger. She's obviously a bit more. I guess juvenile, innocent, yeah. um, and you see a little bit more of that. She's definitely not innocent. Not innocent, no. But I mean, like, but a little bit naive, and, a little the naivety, bit, yeah, bit yeah, immature. Because he's stuff, young, yeah. But then later on, the semi, um, I mean, he's, he's sort of caught in the lie, but he kind of covers it by saying that he's the prince. Yeah. And then there's a whole another web of lies happening there, yeah. which is a thing. But but that. That I thought, because that was a, you know, okay, so Sammy's done the wrong thing by sleeping with bloody um, Patrice, but the cover is actually, it's a good cover. Because then Akeem can still... Continue doing what he's doing. Yeah, so he but there's of, another layer to the situation, but it's yeah. not... It's, so not, it's an inconvenience. Yeah, but, but it doesn't blow his cover completely. Yeah. But, you know, within so 10 minutes, it's done and dusted anyway, yeah. right? Well, so, that's, that's right. But um, but yeah, you know, and so we've, we've talked about it already. But ultimately, you know, Akeem is choosing to hide the truth in order to find like find someone who respects him as an individual, not as a prince. And we see Patrice is definitely that personality who cares more about material and and money value than she does about the individual. Hence, why she treats Akeem like crap when she finds out that Sammy is the the real prince, and then the likewise the other way around as well. So. And she she only really wants whoever's got the money, and same with you know. Ultimately, she ends up by I guess sleeping with Daryl. I guess at the end of it all, you know, <laughs> all that, because Daryl's now available at yeah, that point. Daryl so. spikes that camera, and yeah. there it is. Yeah, has that look. But let's obviously uh, the lady, the love interest, the one that uh, came his iron is going for, the one that is shown the opposite of Patrice's uh, mannerisms. Lisa, played by Sherry Headley. Yeah, get to the end of the show and uh, we're name dropping the <laughs> the, the main female the lead, love, the yeah. main female lead, the love interest in this romantic comedy. Yeah. <laughs> but she's she's great. Like her portrayal, um, so Shari's portrayal of the character, I think it's great. It's you know these characters, I think, are designed to clearly contrast against the the others, so they can shine a little bit more. Mm. So uh, you know she's she's a she's an intellect, she's a dedicated family person who's working for the family business, um, discusses how much potential she's got, and then also discusses how much. Um, uh, you know, passion and interest in her own value she has and how she doesn't want to be put in a corner or put forced into a situation. So you get the the moment where the McDowells are hosting the dinner and then all of a sudden she's a fiancé out of nowhere, yeah, not consulted. That's a ridiculous situation. Yeah, that would never happen in real life. But ultimately, uh, she deals she deals with it. She, she leaves the party and that's where Akeem... And her really connect for the very first time there. Well, I mean, they kind of have been out through it, but it's that it's a nice moment on the on the swing sets, um, and she's yeah just full vulnerable, putting it out there and saying that, you know, I'm definitely not somebody's handbag, and I you know I want to be mm. respected and everything like that as well. It, it as a contrast to to Daryl, like Akeem obviously is the better choice, like you know, yeah. of course it makes sense. Um, and you know, this movie is described as a romantic comedy. Yeah. I gotta say though the like the romance between like Lisa and Akeem, yeah. I mean it's rapid, 
we don't see much of it actually developing. I mean, there, there's the swing scene. They sort of hang out a little bit later, and you know, Go, they're walking around, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Whatever yeah. they're doing, um, but it's small, it's minor. And then when it all comes down to you know, like the truth being revealed, um, then it's all like, okay, now we've got we're at the stakes, and it's all. But it's like, what development has really happened? Yeah. I don't buy into it too much. I go along with it because, again, like it's just a comedy. It's not... Even though the, the, the seeking the love and trying to you know, win over the father and then win over yeah. Lisa as a love interest, it, that, that's the main fact, like the, the core elements of this movie. But I feel like it's glossed over or it's just sort of like you get like yeah. the rapid-fire key points of it and mm. it doesn't... Yeah, like it doesn't seem overly genuine yeah and then you get to the end of the movie and it's like well if she chose him it's all good and you know there she's yeah. at the wedding she's they do have that poignant moment on the train though right where he's saying look I'll give it up and then he renounces it on the train to everybody yeah, he's, I mean, like, like, he's the... like look you know the truth I'll give it up if that's what you want me to do what what do you want and she's just like look I know like kind of it's not the moment's past it's not really a thing or something and she basically says no and then he goes okay well but you think about it like at the end of the day, like they've they've known each other for a couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, well, the city is only going for forty days at the most, right? So. Well, yeah. We don't mean, even know how far down that forty day period this is. We don't. Yeah. I mean, how long so, were they? Was he working? Yeah. It's, and I'm assuming that was cut short because King and Queen arrived. Arrived. Kind of stuff. Like, yeah. And then it's like, but then she is willing to just show up at the wedding where he again, like in that situation at the very end, like Akeem is about to marry again some. Mm. potential wife suitor yeah. for him um, and then she's there and I'm like well this is wonderful and convenient and great yeah. this is what he wants um, and it's all nice and stuff it's just like I don't know it's maybe I'm reading into it too much and wanting too much no, no. from this element I can, I can no no well I can see it and I can I can appreciate it so ultimately she was not wanting to be with Daryl because he was controlling her actions and, and yeah. making these decisions without her kind of consent and stuff yeah. oh like she was she was brooming him so fast and, yeah but you you bought that that's I think feel like easy done. but the same thing happens technically in the conclusion of this movie is because so Akeem wants her and she's a little bit reluctant even though she really does care about him but maybe not like there's damage done with it with the um the, the trust and things mm. but ultimately it's Akeem's dad that assume, that makes the decision to change the tradition to make it possible Akeem doesn't do anything beyond Saying, "Look, I'll renounce in the subway t- train," and then he moves on. He leaves, and then he's all like, of a okay, sudden, he has is... achieved the girl, and it's because other people were making decisions to make it possible, yeah. influenced by his actions previously. Yes. And, it's like, oh, hang on. and ultimately, so she did. She's still along for that ride. Somebody else is making those things happen for her, but she does say, you know, as they, you know, as they're they're married, I guess, and they're about to go away in their, you know, horse and cart and all of that. She does turn around. He turns around and goes. I can still give it all up. And she goes, like, because she says, you know, you were really going to give all of this, like a full appreciation for what's happening. You're going to give this up. And he goes, I still can. It's entirely up to you. And she cheekily turns around and says, nah. Let's, <laughs> let, nah. Let, 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 I'll be a princess. I don't yeah, know, it's like, kind of sounds pretty good. So I was like, okay, well, you end up with a good life anyway. So good on you. Everyone's happy. Yeah. Why am I complaining? <laughs> yeah. So we're talking about this last, this last bloody character. This last fool. We haven't really covered him. We kind of have. We haven't, kind of haven't. But I feel like... I feel like we talked about Daryl almost the most because we just keep sprinkling him in. Well, he is, and that's sprinkling the thing in this in this story. He is dotted in, but he is, I guess, the film's main antagonist. Yeah, really. Even though he's defeated so easily, I mean, 
They the movie. I mean, all I guess I need to say about him is that the the movie does not try to have us sympathise with him or um, root for him in any sort of way, or at least no. he's flat out just. <laughs> He's just a piece of shit. He's so, a piece of shit. He's a bit of an asshole. From the very first scene, so the uh, the the Black Awareness Week collection plate. Yep. So he, he just doesn't give anything to the collection, um, and then takes credit for the abundance of money, money that you know put in there, even though he wasn't, um, Akeem wasn't actually paying attention to what he put in. He just put his bundle of bloody money in yeah, because he's too busy staring at Lisa. <laughs> but ultimately, when the time comes for credit to be taken for that, it's uh, Daryl who takes it. Daryl doesn't give her a single choice with her own uh, engagement. He just basically speaks to yeah, her father, who owns her apparently. So it's all about ownership. He's no really, good. He's of, no of, good. Of women for this, but nah. um, he's a piece of crap basically. Um, he try and he basically tries to uh, embarrass Akeem at every corner um, and belittle him in you know in regard to just cultural differences and what life would be like in Africa and how substandard it would be compared to anything else. That's right. Fighting off animals, all, yeah, all that stuff. Yeah. So, whereas Akeem, you know, legitimately is royalty and but it is, it's just takes it. really interesting that... Okay, look, so the, the movie presents him as an asshole, as an unworthy suitor, as not a nice guy, all this kind of stuff, a liar, all this... Yeah. You know, like, just a bit of a pig as well when it comes to women. Mm. Yeah, the last time we see him... I mean, it's not, like, the best situation, but it seems like he gets a, a bit of a happy ending at the end. Well, bit up, of a pun there, but yeah, <laughs> the the sister is he ends up with Patricia, Patricia, or at least they have, at least that. Well, you know, she, she has to, to ex- take all these wet clothes off him. So he's exploring that avenue, and you know he looks at the camera and was like, wink, wink, like all right. So, I thought it was very funny though because he arrives, you know, arrives at the house to to try to win back uh, Lisa, <laughs> and the dad's just like, that's like she doesn't love you anymore. Yeah. <laughs> but then, he, but then the dad sees um, the, the the white dog named Donnie. The dad sicks him on it. He right. turns around and goes, I've had enough. Donnie, get him. <laughs> Puts the dog outside to tear, tear him up and closes the door. Oh, it's good. So it's very, very funny. But yeah, Daryl, you probably deserved a worser ending than you got, mate. But all right. it well, is what it is. That's probably in the, the end of what we can really talk about, the movie, except for one thing in the closing credits. Yeah. Right. Uh, I just wanted to point this out. The fictitious Zamundan Film Commission is yeah. thanked. It doesn't exist. It's an interesting little... It's not real. Good touch, guys. It's a nice touch. It's funny. I think it's real. I think I'm not real. I think it's really good, really cool, really funny little touch yeah. there because no one would have bloody watched that. It's so. Monday Forever. Anyway. Monday Forever. <laughs> Monday Forever. Well, given you know, given we've talked about characters and all of their everything else and covered pretty much everything in it, um, this is probably the most appropriate time to take our quiz break. I never know how hard or how no, we'll easy see. you want to... See, I reckon you'll be doing all right with this one. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, if you're not already aware, uh, not fa- not already a fan of the show as well, um, every episode we like to we like to take turns and uh, quiz each other. Um, this time I'll be quizzing Jason. It's 10 questions in 60 seconds and see how we go. Um, Jason, you good with the timer there, buddy? I'll get that set up for you so when you're ready to go, just start asking me questions. Right. I'm ready to go in three... Two, one, go. What birthday is Akeem celebrating? 21st. Yes. What does Akeem force his fiancée to do? Buck like a dog. That'll do it. What does an overrated experience... Uh, Tying shoes. Yes. <laughs> What's the baby elephant's name? Baba. Yes. What colour is the courtesy telephone in the airport? White. Yes, it is. What's a popular hair product brand? Uh, Soul Glow. Yes, it is. What is the McDowell's office phone handset? 
Oh, hamburger. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. What line of work does Akeem say he has back at, in, in Zamunda? Don't he say he's a student? Uh, he also says something else. He, he works somewhere. Pass. What snacks does Lisa's dad try to offer King, uh, King Joffre? Oh. We talked about it. Oh, no, no, it's right. what, blanket. Pet, what pet does the McDowell family have? Dog. Yes, there you go. That's 10 questions. Do you want me to ask one of the others what line of work does Akeem say he's got in Zimunda? I don't know. Garbage cleaner despite. I don't oh, know. I don't know. So I thought you were good for going oh, to get man. 10 out of 10, man. I, I don't know. So the two that you didn't get, um, you got Burger Phone, which is good. We we definitely had a laugh when we saw that. Like, oh, Burger Phone! <laughs> um, no, so what line of work does Akeem say he has in Zimunda? He's a goat herder. No, I completely missed that. That doesn't even ring a bell they, to me. They, so say it, they say it twice in the movie. Oh, damn. Um, and then what snack does Lisa's dad try to offer Kin Joffrey? Should I just said hors d'oeuvres? Well, he, they Would you have taken hors d'oeuvres? <laughs> no, I wouldn't have. Um, he, the thing he mentions is pigs in blankets. I said, said pigs in blanket. No, you didn't. I did. I swear I didn't hear it. But it, ladies and gentlemen, we'll listen to the... the uh, Listen back to the to to the audio, and we'll see how we go. But um, he says these are little frozen ones. They still taste good, though. Please try them, kind of thing. They're still frozen. <laughs> yeah. But uh, so there you go. Quiz break. You may or may not have got nine. I think it's out nine. I think it's nine because I'm fairly confident I said pigs and blanket, unless I didn't say it out loud. But <laughs> you may have said it in your head. But uh, ultimately, you did very well. Eight or nine out of ten is pretty good. It's a very very easy one though. Um, I had to write those down on the fly just after watching this well movie, done. so I only picked the things that I would remember. So uh, I was like, I was like, Rob's gonna ask me, uh, uh, mighty, what is it, mighty hair or something, whatever the part is. I, <laughs> I would have lost it. Oh yeah, it, it is. No, it's MT. Um, yeah, mighty, mighty hair. I think that's what it is. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, uh, there was one other question I was gonna put on that one, but um, I thought I had enough, and it was what, um, what. What was the worth of the note that um, King Joff gives to uh, to oh. Cleo? Oh, it's a hundred pounds. Hundred pounds. Okay. Yeah. So I could have got you with another one, ah. possibly. So anyway, so that's our quiz. That was ten questions in sixty seconds. Uh, Jason did pretty well. It's time to start talking about um, our ratings. All right. Do you want to go first? All right. Um, let's see. Look. A hilarious movie from start to finish. I think again that Zim- the whole Zamunda sequence is glorious. Um, there's a lot happening to keep me going. The characters mm-hmm. are great. So many gags. Lots of heart to this film. Um, you know, it's it's a bit crude. It's a bit gritty. It's it's but it's all in good nature. Again, nothing. I, I love it when you know like comedies sort of sort of push the envelope, but they don't yeah. go. Yeah. They never go nasty. It's all like there's just such there's a good heart to this, um, where it could have very easily have fallen into you know like nasty, spiteful sort of comedy, especially the things to do with like you know race, yeah, poverty mm. lines and stuff like that, yeah, um, gender and, and and you know women and how to treat yeah. all that kind of stuff. It really could have easily delved into a oh like an icky kind of place, especially something from 1988. Yeah. Um, there wasn't too much in here where I was like, oh, you can't really, oh, that's, you can't really do that anymore. You know, yeah. still would have laughed, but none of it, I think all of it sort of really still plays now, which does give me hope for, um, you know, the sequel coming up mm-hmm. um, the, it, to still channel the same sort of comedy and bring it and bring it up. Again, I guess my only major fault was like that, the, the love story in this romantic comedy 
isn't really that strong and, and not that genuine. There wasn't much to it. it. It's kind of just like paint by numbers, going through the motions. Okay, cool. It's sort of presented to us and it's mm. just like, yeah, all right, cool. Go along. I think they could have done a little bit more there. It works as an overall movie, like, fantastic. Still yeah. great. I'm happily giving it a four out of five. Nice one. Um, so... I, you know, I mirror a few things um, for for me, but like as a as a first time and only only viewing of this only a few days ago, um, like I I really enjoyed this. I think it is nowhere near as problematic as many other movies made at the same time. Um, if you're looking through the lens of today, there are you know I do feel that maybe Lisa and, and the story the love story might be a little bit underserved for her character, but ultimately, it's not. You know, there isn't no, there isn't anything too controversial with this film, um, which in itself is a nice, you know, refreshing quality of of a comedy from the eighties. Yeah, because generally most of them are a little bit, you know, problematic. And and you, looking at it through today's lens, it's you can't help but see that sometimes if you haven't seen it earlier. You know, um, but I I really enjoyed it and have an appreciation. And I think that the new one coming out has got a real opportunity, to, you know, not follow step in step with the other, but you know, put it create a comedy that reflects now's you know kind of kind of tone and attitude on things so in no way would i look at this and say you know this is you know there's always lessons to be learned with everything and i think this is, is good quality um all around i love the characters i love the gags throughout i um I, yeah i do wish that maybe the uh, the love story between the two leads was maybe a bit fleshed out instead of just focusing on the journey but ultimately um it was a good journey, <laughs> it, was a good journey. it was a good journey but ultimately for me like it's rewatchable. Um, and I'd recommend it. It's a it's a four out of five VHS tapes for me as well. And I really hope I'm looking forward to seeing the new, the next one and seeing how tonally different it is and what they do and could just be a carbon copy. Who bloody knows? Well, look now you're now you're prepped for it, which yeah. is which is good. So you can as soon as that comes out and we've got access to. I still don't even know how we'd get. Are we getting it in cinemas? I don't know. Maybe I don't know. Is it being released on Amazon Prime? We live in Australia. I don't know. Is it Amazon Prime? It's being. It's, it's, oh it's yeah, maybe. I don't know. We'll look into it. I'll find out. Yeah, no worries. <laughs> Um, so that, that's that's us. Both four out of five VHS tapes. That's pretty. It's a pretty healthy movie. Go out and watch it if you haven't already. If you haven't already, why the hell do you listen to this episode? Pretty healthy movie. Yeah. Infection free. Yeah, infection free. Do with what you want with your at your discretion. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, that was our rewind to 1990, um, 1988's coming to America. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Rewind and Review. As always, we'll remind you that any feedback, either positive or negative, or any Rewind requests can be sent to us via email at thatfilmstewpodcast at gmail.com. That's right. Or you could reach out to us on either That Film Stew or Rewind and Review's Facebook pages and like and follow those pages while you're there. Subscribe and leave us a review on SoundCloud and Apple Podcasts as it does help others like yourself find the podcast. Yep, and you can find our entire catalogue of episodes um, at thatfilmstewpodcast.com. So coming soon from that film stew, um, we will have a review of Coming to America, the mm-hmm. 2021 film. Um, and our next episode on Rewind and Review might be undecided at this stage. I think we are doing Mortal Kombat, that first Mortal Kombat. I don't know if that's the next one, but we are doing Mortal Kombat. So maybe that's the next one. Maybe that's the two episodes away keep an ear to the ground ladies and gentlemen because <laughs> there will be a new episode coming uh, out get soon get excited about it uh, so thank you for listening this has been another Rewind and Review and we will see you on our next trip
Please rewind this cassette before returning it to your video library.